breaking up sedentary time and being physically active have so many benefits that it's important that we do things for workers, especially workers who have really constrained opportunities for physical activity where it's much harder for them to take breaks or to be active. You're listening to What's Work Got to Do With It, your go-to resource on all things workplace safety, health, and well-being. This podcast series invites you into the conversation as we discuss how our workplace conditions like work hours, occupational stress, job safety, and other issues affect our lives at work and at home. We go into the science behind it all and talk about what we can do to reduce work-related risk and promote well-being. This podcast is a production of the Oregon Institute of Occupational Health Sciences and Oregon Healthy Workforce Center. This episode was produced, hosted, and edited by myself, Helen Shuckers, written by Anjali Ramishbabu, and music provided by Sam Greenspan. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of What's Work Got to Do With It. And of course, this episode is bittersweet because it will be my last podcast episode here at the Institute. It has been a pleasure co-hosting, co-producing, as well as editing these podcasts for you all. And I just greatly appreciate you all listening out there and continuing to support our podcast, as well as tuning in through the last four years. And of course, the podcast team knows who they are, but I greatly appreciate their time and collaboration and their energy that they've given to this podcast. Before we dive right in to our episode today, I wanted to give you all some background. So We are going to be interviewing two of our own researchers here at the Institute, as well as the Oregon Healthy Workforce Center, Dr. Ryan Olson and Dr. Brad Whipley. They both are doing important research on safety, health, and well-being intervention design for sedentary workers. So their research projects are aimed at increasing physical activity at work, so reducing sedentary behavior or sitting time. Their projects are part of the Oregon Healthy Workforce Center that is funded by the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health, so NIOSH. And of course, Oregon Healthy Workforce Center is one of 10 centers of excellence in total worker health. And for their research projects, they definitely worked with populations that are in need of these interventions, so truck drivers as well as call center employees, but since Dr. Brad Whipley's project for call center employees have been essentially generalized to meet the needs of other sedentary populations beyond that as well. And I won't go too deep into it because the interview covers it all, but we will definitely link all of the important information on tech for rest and active workplace in our show notes. So we'll go ahead and jump right in and Again, thank you all so much for your support the last four years, and we will definitely continue the podcast in the future, but for now, I just wanted to say one last thank you to you all for listening, and we will dive right into the interview. Dr. Brad Woodley is an Associate Professor and Assistant Dean of Graduate Academic Affairs in the OHSU-PSU School of Public Health. Brad's research concentrates on health promotion and health behavior, particularly on identifying strategies to increase physical activity and improve physical and mental health. Dr. Ryan Olson is a behavioral and occupational health psychologist who specializes in safety and health interventions for isolated workers, such as truck drivers and home care workers. Ryan is the co-director of the Oregon Healthy Workforce Center, a NIOSH Center of Excellence in Total Worker Health. He also leads an internationally recognized research program funded by the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute that is focused on the safety, health, and well-being of commercial drivers. 
So I'm very excited today to have two of our scientists from the Institute, as well as the Oregon Healthy Workforce Center. Thank you so much for both being here today to tell us about your research. I know Ryan's research is focused on improving safety and health through interventions for workplaces, as well as Brad, your research is focused around health promotion and health behavior change. And we would just love to learn more about the research that you're, you've been doing here at the Institute, as well as the Oregon Healthy Workforce Center. And Brad, you're also a dual appointment. I guess both of you are dual appointment at OHSUPSU School of Public Health. So we'll we'll go ahead and start with Ryan. Thanks, Helen. It's really nice to be here on the podcast as a guest. And for me, my research is focused on workers who are typically isolated from their peers and work alone or mostly alone, as compared to workers who show up to a physical workplace or warehouse and work with other people. This has, of course, changed pretty dramatically now that so many workers are working part-time or full-time from home who are in the knowledge workforce. But examples include commercial drivers and home care workers. And so the challenge is to bring occupational safety and health resources and programs to these workers who are dispersed and out and about and not working with peers or supervisors. Yeah, thank you. I'm excited to be here and get to, to talk about this with you and, and Ryan. Um, my, my work is largely centered around health promotion and, and health behavior, and that's pretty broad. I, I specifically like to focus on physical activity. My, my background is in exercise science, and for me, that's a natural fit with um, occupational health, right? There's lots of occupational health issues and health concerns that are that are related to physical activity. So I've been bringing occupational health and exercise science together in different ways, um, trying to promote physical activity in the workplace and outside of the workplace um, with occupational groups. Yeah, and we're definitely excited to dive more into the sedentary research that you've both been doing in each of your respective working populations that you've been conducting in your Oregon Healthy Workforce Center interventions uh, specifically around uh, addressing and utilizing the total worker health uh, concept. And, and it leads me to this next question. You both are really looking closely in these jobs that you work with isolated working population, lone workers, Brad, you with call center workers and generalizing that to have more of the general population who sit at work. These jobs that you're looking at are very highly sedentary. It requires a lot of sitting time, long periods of sitting time. And we've all heard of the quote of sitting is a new smoking for many years now. And we just wanted to kind of enlighten the audience and, and tell them why is this research important and why are you looking at these sedentary populations? Yeah, well, I'm going to zoom out and go really big picture here uh, and start with over the past 60 or 70 years, you know, technology has exploded and the, the pace of technology continues to increase. And as that's happened, more and more jobs have become more and more sedentary. We see less jobs that require manual labor, which is great, right? That That is associated with uh, workplace injuries. So the more jobs we can kind of reduce that burden, that is uh, theoretically at least would help reduce musculoskeletal injuries in the workplace. Um, but that also comes with more sitting. And what we see when people sit more at their jobs and for long periods of time in particular, is that there are health uh, outcomes that are now seeing negative uh, consequences from all of that sitting. And in the big picture, sitting is related to things like increased risk for cardiovascular disease, increased risk for diabetes um, and other chronic diseases. So this is a, a big picture 
big population level health concern and it's it's kind of impacting public health in a in a pretty significant way yeah it's certainly a kind of more of a population health and public health uh, concern that we have here and as i'm like as we're going through this recording i'm i'm clearly sitting and you're standing so if i take a lesson and learn anything it's you know, I need to definitely stand more and move more during my workday. Ryan, we would love to hear from you in terms of why this research is so important for us to keep moving forward with to fill the gaps. Yeah, like you, Helen, every time I talk about this topic, I'm more likely to activate my sit-stand desk or feel like getting out for a walking break. And some additional reasons why for, for individuals, uh, it's important to take breaks and break up sitting periods is sitting actually shortens a range of muscles chronically and that muscle shortening can lead to discomfort and musculoskeletal pain doing other activities so for example the hip flexor muscle wraps over the top of the iliac crest of the pelvis shortens and we found with commercial drivers who do a short six minute walking test many of them will complain of or or feel or comment on achy hips or back pain doing just that short six minute walking test um, and so a real practical benefit of breaking up your sitting is is potentially and stretching is less musculoskeletal pain by stretching out and lengthening those muscles that are shortened when you sit and in addition i think pointing to some of brad's work that there are really important mood benefits of regular exercise brad's published a couple of really highly cited literature reviews showing the benefits of exercise for reducing depressive symptoms and anxiety and also physical activity is sleep protective so breaking up sedentary time and being physically active have so many benefits that it's important that we do things for workers, especially workers who have really constrained opportunities for physical activity where it's much harder for them to take breaks or to be active. Yeah, those are all really great points. And I think summarizing those two or three takeaways I've gotten from both you, Brad and Ryan is the automation of work. Technology has contributed to prolonged sitting and reduction of physical activity. And of course, it depends on the industry that you're potentially working in as well and studying, but also the implications of sitting long term can um, have a lot of impact on our psychosocial factors, ranging from mental health all the way through the physical components of, of a person's body and even beyond that. So appreciate you both for addressing that. And while you're both studying sedentary jobs, Ryan, your study is focused on the operators and truck drivers and Brad, your work is has been centered around call center workers. We would like to learn more about each of these groups in these working populations and what work is even like for these occupations that you've studied. I'll focus on commercial drivers among all the groups I've worked with. I do sit for and for very long periods of time due to hours of service regulations that permit commercial drivers to drive for, up, for truckers up to 11 hours a day and to be on duty for 14 hours a day. All commercial drivers potentially may sit for almost all of their working period, you know, with exceptions of like short haul truck drivers who are, are out of the seat to, to drop off and deliver material out of the trailer of the truck. Clearly, if you imagine sitting at your desk for 11 hours, but you can only take maybe one or two breaks to uh, stop and get gas or to have a brief lunch, 
it's a very different situation than when you're at your desk and you can get up and stretch and walk around. Um, so maximizing, well, encouraging drivers to take breaks in the first place and then maximizing their utilization of breaks are important goals. But the window of opportunity for drivers to do all of their life activities are really limited. So you, you're, let's say you drove for 11 hours, you've been on duty for 14, it's time for bed. You're required to take 10 hours in the sleeper berth and sleep. Um, you've got to fit in dinner, laundry, calling family members, anything hobby, recreational related that you can do on the road into that little narrow bit of time after work and before bed. And so the degrees of freedom are pretty limited. And then I'll just note commercial driving teams where one driver works while the other one drives and newly hired bus operators are both groups where there's the added variable of schedule variability. So the time when you're going to bed and it can vary day to day and week to week and truck driving teams in particular need to sleep during the day, which can be difficult when your body clock is trained to have you sleep at night. Really, it's those limited opportunities and then the variable nature of the opportunities, including how, what's the weather like outside uh, that affect commercial drivers' ability to manage their physical activity and take advantage of available breaks when they have them. Well, Ryan, what you said about truck drivers, and imagine sitting at your desk for 11 hours straight, that is a perfect description of a call center environment. There's clearly some differences between those two work environments, but call center workers operate in a pretty tightly controlled environment where they, they need to be at their desk to do their job. Um, they have a very high call volume and uh, they have very little time between calls, very little time to take breaks. And the industry is characterized by um, high levels of absenteeism and high levels of turnover. So there's often shortages in employees. So the, they have a pretty high burden and they need to be at their desk to kind of deal with the call volume that is coming in for most of the day. They have very limited ability to get up and take a few minutes to stretch their legs or, or to walk around. So despite the, the clear differences in, in what they're doing in, in their jobs, there are some pretty clear similarities by kind of how much they are really tied to their desk in one case and vehicle in another case. The call center environment is also stressful. A lot of the call center jobs that I've um, worked with are people are calling because they're upset about something, right? They're not calling because they're happy and want to check in and have a nice conversation. They're calling because they have a problem with a bill or something, an issue with something, and, and they're calling and they're already starting the call from a, a place of uh, anger or being upset. And, and the people, the call center employees have to deal with that all day long. And that's one of the reasons that, you know, stress is a big contributor to absenteeism and, and turnover in that industry. Um, so it's a stressful, it's a stressful job. Um, but that's not to say the folks don't enjoy their jobs. They're very good at it and um, learn ways to to be well, mindful and, and deal with the stress. But it nonetheless has uh, has pretty significant impacts on on uh, physical and uh, emotional and mental well-being. There are so many factors involved in terms of each of these respective job industries to consider. And just thinking about sitting for that long in a truck, or you have mentioned Brad in front of a computer where to do a lot of physical activity, it's 
really about integrating it into their workday and how you can improve their physical, mental, emotional, as you mentioned, Brad, stress and burnout and all of these different factors kind of leads me to the next question in the importance of designing interventions and solutions and finding strategies to be able to support these working environments that are so essentially tightly controlled based on the, the nature of their job. And as researchers, what you're trying to do is really improve the worker's experience within their jobs. And also there's a challenge in designing solutions for these different industries, but I know it's also a really rewarding process. So I guess my next question is, what has your experience been in terms of trying to design these interventions for these workers? Have there been any challenges involved? I know you had covered some of those earlier, but I know there's even more that has to be considered. Ryan, you had mentioned the work-life component. It's really important for in total worker health research to consider both home and work-life. Well, thanks for, for bringing up total worker health, Helen. That's exactly what I was going to mention. Total worker health is a great perspective um, to approach these issues with because it does consider the work environment and the role that that plays in uh, health behaviors at work. And while we don't, you know, call center environment, we don't have the ability to completely tear down the environment and start from scratch. That was one thing I was very interested in. And how can we make small tweaks to the work environment that increase the likelihood for physical activity at work and, and make standing desk use more frequent? And so that was a, a challenge, but also a nice um, thing that was, uh, uh, you know, engaging and interesting for designing a study with call center workers. And we also, um, you know, we went to workers and, and talked to workers about what solutions they thought might work for them. And incorporated their perspectives into the, the study that we did. And uh, one of the things we, we tried to do was we used pedal stands, tiny little cycles that sit under a person's desk so they could pedal, get some physical activity while they are working. It's not at any level of intensity that is um, gonna interrupt work or, or decrease productivity, but it's still an opportunity for them to at least get their muscles moving and uh, um, get a little bit of activity during the workday. We made a few other environmental tweaks to encourage people to use pedal stands. We had some pedaling competitions, pitted teams against each other in a race around Oregon. So those things are little ways to increase the use of a tool that we put in the work environment that can in improve worker health and safety. We also did some individual level things where we had training about sedentary behavior and the impacts of sedentary behavior and how the work environment can contribute to sedentary behavior. Uh, so all those things were part of a, an intervention that we designed for call center workers. And would we like to do more? Sure. Would we like to hire a lot more people so the staffing is is high and the call volume is, you know, kind of the staffing levels adequate to deal with the call volume? Sure. Is that a realistic goal for a, a health and safety intervention? Not really. So, yeah, it was a challenge to kind of come up with these all these tweaks that, that worked pretty well. And I was really happy to have the workers um, on board with this. And you know, one unique challenge we ran into was the, the pedal stands that we ended up using, there were some desks that just, they wouldn't fit, right? The people would hit their knees on the desks because the pedals were, uh, they would pedal too high and their knees would bump their desk. So there's little things like that that also go into designing an intervention where we, we not only have to have a solution that fits the population, but in these little fine-tuned ways, we need to make sure the, the solutions fit every single work environment. There's definitely a level of consideration in terms of the type of design that needs to go into a workspace. You know, there might be needs of workers on an accessibility standpoint that needs to be considered in terms of um, looking at 
in tailoring the intervention to the workplace itself and well first by piggybacking on brad's comments about uh, the total worker health approach which is focused on integrating uh, what we're doing for worker safety health and well-being together but also considering the whole person as you mentioned helen their personal and and family life in addition to their work and our priority when approaching interventions for any occupational group is to consider the hierarchy of controls applied to total worker health, where the highest priority is to eliminate workplace hazards uh, or reduce them. And that includes hazards uh, to health in addition to injury hazards. And just to illustrate the potential power of job redesign, but also the challenges in implementing it, there was a study by Nicholas Krauss and colleagues, I think over a decade ago in California, where they studied transit bus operators and their observational data and statistical models showed that there would be a significant reduction in low back pain if bus operators work hours were reduced to less than full time. So I recently heard from bus operators that a full-time bus operating job is not 40 hours a week. It's more like 50, 60, because you do get pulled into overtime work and, and, and the work week can expand. But really the power in reducing exposures can be in reducing total work hours and, and total sitting. And you know, low back pain comes from additional exposures like vibrations from the vehicle in addition to just the sitting posture. But it's just a great example of the potential power of changing a job and producing reduced negative impacts on workers. But the challenge is then implementing it. It would, even though you save money and reduce suffering by reducing injuries and low back pain, for example, it also costs money to fill the seat with additional workers if workers are not working the hours that they currently work in any occupation. This can apply in healthcare and, and commercial driving and a, a range of occupations with elevated injury rates and health challenges. So I just mentioned that in that as researchers, we strive to address working conditions and eliminate or reduce hazards, but a lot of hazards to health are poorly controlled or not easy to um, eliminate. So the Tech for Us study probably illustrates one of my better efforts at addressing working conditions to the degree possible with a grant funded study and then supplementing those working conditions changes with a behavioral program tailored to those workers. Sleep is a cross-cutting factor for benefiting worker safety and health. Uh, sleep deficiency puts you at risk for uh, for safety incidents and vehicle crashes, but uh, insufficient sleep also is associated with early mortality, diabetes, and a range of other health issues. So in Tech for Est, we focused on improving team truck drivers' sleep, health, and well-being. And our first effort was to enhance the cab with an active suspension seat that was shown to reduce whole body vibrations and reduce fatigue and a therapeutic mattress that had an unusual suspension system that an original equipment manufacturer had shared with us, team drivers really liked. And then we added the enhanced, to the enhanced cab, a sleep health program based on our, our mobile adaptive web-based health programs for commercial drivers. And um, 
that health program focused on increasing physical activity and sleep hygiene behaviors. So the enhanced cab had benefits by itself, but uh, the greatest improvements to sleep and physical activity came when we added the behavioral program in addition to the enhanced cab features. And so just a little, a little example of the kinds of things we can study as researchers. Sometimes I really wish that I could reduce the hours of service, uh, increase schedule regularity, magically wave my wand and give drivers more frequent healthy breaks. But we do what we can and hopefully our evidence builds up uh, toward uh, both the financial and the human case that employers will have a happier, healthier, more productive and safer workforce with uh, changes to working conditions and uh, improved job design. One of the things that I had pulled up on my computer before this call was like the importance of a hazard-free environment and eliminating those hazards and redesigning the work environment, which you both talked very in depth about. And definitely the hierarchy of controls was on my mind. So I'm glad you brought that up, Ryan. And it also leads me to, there's a, a large component of each of your interventions and in your programs that you've designed from the last grant cycle at the Oregon Healthy Workforce Center of essentially educating these specific workforces and employees on the importance of improving safety, health, and well-being, and um, not only the educational component, but also goal setting and having some level of social support. Like in your study, Ryan, the environment of team truck drivers, you know, supporting each other while they're on the road and engaging in these education lessons and goal setting in terms of tracking their physical activity. And in your study, Brad, with uh, you know, active workplace, having the, the supervisor involved and having the supportive supervisor and manager engage to help lead the efforts in total worker health to set goals, either individually or as a team to try to improve in movement in the workplace. So um, I just wanted to also bring that up because I, I find those pieces very important beyond just eliminating hazards as well as redesigning the work environment too. Ryan, you had addressed this earlier a bit in your previous response, but what did you each find about your study and what are some takeaways? I know we can time and time again, hypothesize on a certain outcome that we want in, in this case is to reduce sedentary behavior and increase physical activity. But what did you find in your study? Were there some surprises and what are some key takeaways you can share with our listeners? Well, I, I can start, and I'll, I'll first just add to your comment, Helen, about the social nature of work. A collaborator in the Portland State University Business School, Talia Bauer, once mentioned to me, work is a social activity. We do it together as people, and this even applies to workers we think of as being isolated. So an unpublished finding that Brad and I had with truck drivers who participated in a weight loss and health promotion program found that uh, those who were successful at keeping the weight off a year after the program were the drivers who reported having a supportive supervisor at work. So you might ask, you know, well, why or how does that happen? You know, how does me having a supportive supervisor translate into keeping the pounds off? And the best I can think about it is that a supportive supervisor considers your whole life as a driver whether or not you need to get home for a family event, whether or not you're stressed out because, you know, the basement flooded at your house while you were away. And 
that support at work can translate into keeping your stress, buffering your stress level, keeping it down, helping you feel like you have the capacity to do your work and tend to family activities and priorities. And that might make you less likely to, to backslide on the behavior changes you've made, you know, to your diet, to your exercise, to your sleep. So, yeah, just a, a, a little, it was really surprising to me to, to see that a supportive supervisor would benefit a person's long-term success managing health behavior. And then briefly, a couple of take-homes from the Tech for Us study. Team drivers really appreciated the cab enhancements. They enjoyed and appreciated the seat, smoothing out their ride, reducing how much they got bounced around. And they universally preferred this therapeutic mattress over the mattresses that were purchased for them. And so a little bit can go a long way. Some of those enhancements are pretty expensive, but they do add value to the workers. And you can imagine employers in the long run, maybe having a, a, a better retention of operators who have better cab features. And the word spreading that, that trucks at so-and-so's company have, you know, these active suspension seats and these nice mattresses, and it's, it could be attractive. And then the other feature that we found was that you can improve physical activity among truck driving teams. They were challenged to walk more per week as a team. In the online challenge, they worked, uh, they competed against in a fun way other teams. However, they went from almost no activity to some activity. So the effect sizes were very large because the improvement relative to where they started was big. But on the whole, teams really do have constrained opportunities for physical activity. So they're not approaching the level of, you know, five days a week with 30 minutes of moderate physical activity on five days per week. Um, so you can make a difference, but we must acknowledge the constraints of people's jobs and consider whether we should be asking human beings to work in ways that they work if it's negatively impacting their health and well-being. And um, I think that's something we need to think about into the future. People's health behaviors have traditionally been thought about as, well, that's their own business. That's their personal life. Work doesn't have anything to do with whether I smoke or eat too much sugary foods and things like that. But especially with physical activity, jobs can be highly constraining and jobs can be very obesogenic in terms of generating insufficient sleep, constrained physical activity, limited opportunities for access to healthy food. And so the total worker health approach is encouraging us to think about the impact of work on a much broader range of human behavior and health outcomes. So I should pass the baton to Brad to comment, but those are just a few of my thoughts. On that note, we did feel like we uh, made a pretty reasonable impact on workers in the active workplace study and increased physical activity levels. And in, in that study, we, we had a control condition and an intervention condition. We gave both groups pedal stands and everybody in both groups had standing desks. And then in the control group, we went away. We didn't do anything. In the intervention group, we did things to support the use of pedal stands and standing desks and encourage physical activity. Some of those things I mentioned earlier, like team competitions and training, and uh, Helen mentioned we, we had supervisors who led discussions about um, health and safety and, and sedentary behavior in the workplace. And after six months, we found that just the act of putting pedal stands in the work environment was effective for reducing 
how much time people were spending sitting. Both groups had less prolonged sitting time by having pedal stands in the work environment. But then in the intervention group, they had more physical activity. They were using pedal stands more and they had a decreased resting heart rate, which is uh, an indicator of higher physical activity. So one of the questions we were trying to ask with the study is, is it sufficient to just give workers a health and safety resource? Or is it necessary or better if we support the use of that health and safety resource by making it part of the culture, making it part of the work environment, involving supervisors and everyday conversations about sedentary behavior or about using pedal stands? And the answer was, that, yeah, we, we, we found better results, um, more physical activity, more pedal stand use when we supported the use of those tools in the work environment. Um, but I did think it was pretty interesting that just changing the work environment in a little way by putting a pedal stand in there was enough to make the control group sit less. It's a prompt in the environment, something something there to prompt me about, oh yeah, sedentary behavior maybe isn't the most healthy. I saw this thing on the news or I read this headline about, like you said, we're sitting is the new smoking. So maybe I'm gonna spend a little less time sitting just because something is disrupting my work environment and uh, is, is a prompt for me to think about physical activity. Um, so that was one of the big takeaways, yes. Changing the work environment is helpful. Supporting the use of a health and safety tool in the work environment is, is, is better. Um, and then long-term, we took six months off and then went back to see what happened. We didn't do any more intervention with the intervention group. We didn't do anything with the control group. We just went back at 12 months and, and measured physical activity again. And the only enduring result from our six-month results to our 12-month result was that that decrease in sitting time, the decrease in prolonged sitting was durable. So again, we had a change in the work environment. Pedal stands were there in the work environment in both conditions. And that continued to prompt people to spend less time in prolonged bouts of sitting, these long bouts of sitting that are harmful for health. The other things went away. The increase in physical activity that we saw at six months in the intervention group, that reverted back to baseline. So. One of the takeaways from this 12 month measurement is that this can't be just a thing we do temporarily and then think it's fixed, right? This is a um, thing that needs to become part of the culture, part of the work environment. It needs effort from supervisors. It needs effort from, it's, for example, health and safety committee. We don't just do something and then stop. It needs continual energy and, and effort to kind of maintain the results. Absolutely. Having organizational buy-in is very challenging from the top down, and it leads me to think about the sustainability factor of these interventions and, and how these workplaces continue to support their workers. And we all know that resources come at a very thin margin with a lot of people's uh, programs at their workplaces, and there's so many factors involved an individual behavior change basis all the way through an organizational culture change basis so um, the fact that you both saw some effect in terms of impacting in increasing physical activity is i would say a win <laughs> if i can say that but there's certainly more work to be done and you know i, I know the future of studying these populations are very important as well as even other industries that are impacted by sedentary work and trying to increase physical activity. And so my my next question, what does the future hold for studying, whether it be sedentary population or for these populations as a whole, whether it be through your maybe personal research or even research that you've continued to follow to help fill these gaps? 
Well, I think something Ryan said earlier is is really pertinent here, and I think we're getting close to maybe a tipping point with this, where we have a pretty large body of evidence now um, that, from all sorts of areas, from basic physiological studies, which uh, some folks in our institute, like Saraf Dosar, do, that link sedentary behavior to detriments in physiological functioning. And we also have epidemiological evidence that shows big picture that sitting a lot and sitting for prolonged periods of time is poor for your health. And we have applied studies like the active workplace studies and many others where um, we see workplaces change and in, in, uh, in workers being more active and less sedentary in the workplace. So it feels like we're at kind of a tipping point to me and, and I hope that this is the case where um, organizations are gonna start considering this in their organization of work and the way they design work. And this is not something that um, is kind of relying on an outside group coming in to say, hey, sedentary behavior is really important and impactful, both in a business case and in a human case, and um, it impacts employees' livelihood and well-being. Um, so my hope is that organizations kind of are, are starting to notice this and really build it into the work culture and the design of work. Um, and in terms of researcher side, is like from an intervention standpoint, I'm really curious to find ways to build this into the work environment in ways that are sustainable. Uh, when we have a grant to do a study, we have a concentrated period of, of, of effort. And when that ends, that effort goes away. And like I, like I said earlier, some of the behavior change in the um, workplace changes that we see go away. So how can we build this into the culture in a way that we as researchers aren't the ones that are having an influence on physical activity so that the workplace and the people in the workplace themselves are leading the charge and continue to do so and don't have this concentrated period of, okay, let's work on this now and then forget it. Um, let's keep it going. Let's build it into the culture. Let's, let's make it baked into the, so when a new employee comes in and they say, oh, hey, folks here are really active, I guess. This is, this is great. I should use my standing desk. I can use pedal stands. I can go for walking breaks um, so that it really becomes a part of the culture. Right. Thanks for sharing that. Brian? I think a couple of things come to mind. And the first is just to question, uh, do we need to keep doing things the way that we're doing them? You know, just because a job is currently done in a current way, do we have to keep doing it that way into the future? Because we've done it that way for, you know, as long as, you know, we can remember. So, you know, does a person need to, to be at a workstation while they take phone calls? Do truck driving teams need to work on the schedules that they work and they tend to drift toward uh, slightly shorter than 24 hour days and then just questioning. Do we need to do it the way we do it, especially if workers are experiencing stress, negative health outcomes and potentially risk for safety incidents? So that, that would just be my first comment. We should be asking those questions. Leaders and employers should be asking those questions. Workers should be, especially those who are organized, can, can demand or ask for or negotiate different structures, working conditions. And just questioning that structure, I think, is important. I think I'll mention another one, which is new transit bus operators are joining a work environment that is often union represented. So there's a strong, valuable tradition of labor representation in the transit industry. However, one feature of that work arrangement currently is that new operators, and this doesn't apply just in the transit industry, have lower seniority. Therefore, they tend to 
have the least uh, seniority when bidding for pieces of work. And so they tend to get some of the most demanding, most variable work schedules and work assignments. That's really hard. New, being new is stressful. And then adding those challenging work assignments on top of being new uh, may, we, we're studying it, it may have additional health consequences. So just asking that question, do we, do we need to put this burden on new people in X occupation? It doesn't have to be transit. It could be a number of occupations where new people have some of the most challenging exposures. And then next up, I, commercial driving, we have to mention autonomous and semi-autonomous vehicles. It's already present uh, in the sense of safety assistive technology in vehicles. But before this interview, I was just reading about a company that in the next year is hoping to go commercial with electronically tethered trucks. So that means a truck driving team will not, no longer be in the same vehicle, but one would be in a lead vehicle with the electronically tethered truck autonomously or semi-autonomously following the lead truck. And in the article I read, the driver in that tailing truck will be on rest and monitoring mode. As far as I can imagine, their job is going to be very similar in terms of total work hours, limited opportunities for breaks. You know, that human element and what is the nature of the human's job involved with this new technology just needs to be considered. They're hauling twice as much freight. That following truck probably has better fuel efficiency because it's following close and taking advantage of less wind resistance by following the lead truck. But the human's job might get worse. We don't know. It, it might stay the same, but there's an opportunity, I think, to make it better if engineers and psychologists and physicians and industry experts are asking questions about how can we improve the lives of the human beings interacting with this technology as it is designed and deployed? So I think exciting, interesting, fascinating, challenging things are going to be happening in autonomous and semi-autonomous trucks and buses in the future. But we, we really need to consider the human element. And there may be huge opportunities to improve the design of work for human beings involved in transportation, but not if we don't pay attention to it and do it with purpose. There's a lot to take in from both of your responses, but some of the key things I've heard loud and clear were asking these larger scale questions um, for the worker. And what came to mind was also policy change. I think a lot of occupational health and safety and health improvements in the workplace start with policy change and the employers listening to their employees in terms of what is working and what isn't. And also tech being a contributing factor, as we know, automating things that might maybe provide opportunities to make the workplace safer, as well as even maybe more time for these specific working populations to maybe step away from their desk or their driving berths or uh, whatever it may be to be able to take care of their needs and promote their well-being long-term. These areas of, of work and and lastly, we always like to end our conversations with our guests by sharing some resources as well as takeaways, which you've already shared. So I think we'll end with resources, but all of our toolkits and information can be found at yourworkpath.com. And any resources that you both shared today will definitely drop in the show notes. Is there anything that you would like to share kind of last minute wrap up thoughts as well as resources to 
these workplaces who might be interested in learning more about these areas. Well, I, I want to jump in and say, uh, similar to how autonomous driving is going to impact uh, truck drivers and bus operators in the future, you know, working from home is a new reality for many of us, and that that changes the burden and the kind of the source of the work environment, right? For for folks in sedentary jobs, and call center workers are largely still at uh, in person in their workplaces, but lots of other sedentary jobs have started to move home. So. There is no shortage of resources for tips to kind of make your home environment more uh, suitable for physical activity and, and finding little ways to take breaks in your in your day. Our active workplace study resources are a great thing for workplaces to consider, and uh, those are all broadly available on yourworkpath.com. And there's some toolkits that folks can use to customize an active workplace uh, program for their environment. It can be done for little to no cost and is really customizable based on whatever you're willing to um, put into it. Uh, we've also translated those materials into Spanish. So yeah, those are those are great resources for any workplace building a uh, an active program for yourself, kind of no matter what level of resources you have and what level of commitment you're able to, to put into it. Thanks for sharing, Brad. Yeah, so I'll add, uh, Helen has taken the lead on developing a great two-pager focused on active suspension and semi-active suspension seats, their benefits for commercial drivers and information resources, where to find them and cost them out. And then, again, uh, visit yourworkpath.com and reach out if you have an interest in our programs for commercial drivers, including Fit for Sleep, which was the behavioral program uh, studied in the Tech for Us study. I think in general, for workers and employers, you can also consider reaching out locally to your union leaders and representatives if you're if you are union represented for resources and also to magnify your voice. Um, uh, but also uh, leaders and employers and supervisors can be a great source of support, advice, guidance in the workplace. Think about where you are locally and use and access advice and resources within your company and within your union if you can, because they'll have the most wisdom for your particular occupation, in addition to what you can hear about and learn from researchers like us. Yeah, it's certainly important to continue to have open conversations about these areas of um, improving our safety, health, and well-being at work. If we don't talk about it, change doesn't happen. And this has been a very great discussion. I appreciate you both for coming onto the podcast today. It's always a, a treat when, you know, I think a lot of times when I talk to you both, it's more in a group setting and I can't have these more in-depth one-on-one conversations about your research. So. I certainly, I always learn a lot from each of our conversations and I appreciate you both coming on to talk about sedentary behavior and how to maybe improve workplace physical activity for these working populations and even beyond that, that can be generalized throughout our workforce here. And no, thank you for having us and encouraging this nice conversation and sharing of what we do. Yeah, thank you, Helen, I appreciate it. Anjali, I just wanted to say thank you so, so much for being my co-producer, co-writer, co-host for the last four years on our podcast. It it really has been a really fun, long journey of good learning experiences and wouldn't have thought to do this with anybody else here at the Institute. And I'm so glad that we had this time together to really build something from the ground up and share with the world our research.
Oh, Helen, I don't know how to follow that up, and I don't, I wish we didn't have to have this conversation, <laughs> but, you know, this has been such, such a wonderful, productive, fulfilling, and just downright one of the favorite things I've done on this job. And I remember when we first sat at a conference room and just talked about doing a podcast and what it would even mean for us and, and really be able to, to be creative and to and to think of how we would want to shape this and i think we've come such a long way with it and we've done such a great job of it we've had so many wonderful speakers and just i think the fav my favorite pieces have been being able to talk with you and to work with you and uh and to you know kind of think of who our guests would be and what we would ask them and um People use the word joyride, but I think I can safely say that that's a great word to describe it for me. Um, I, at this point, I can't imagine having done this podcast with anybody else, and I can't imagine doing it with anybody, continuing this conversation with anybody else. But all I'll say is um, I wish we didn't have to stop producing this podcast together, but I am so excited for um, what's to come with you and you know who knows maybe we'll pick up an episode one day and we'll be able to talk through what work means outside of this podcast as well and um, make a special episode come back so yeah I'm always happy to come back as a guest you know that and it also makes me think why didn't we co-host a long time ago or have right. these like more open dialogues so I think it's a lot of fun to be able to talk through different you know workplace experiences and but do you want to tell our listeners what what's next for you yeah so i will be actually taking some time off with my husband and we are going to be traveling for one to two years well we we don't have an end date we just have a begin date <laughs> so we're leaving for full-time travel at the end of this month and just going to really embrace the journey and mostly to spend time with family both around the United States as well as overseas as well, you know, as we've learned with the pandemic and all of these other aspects of life, what is important to us and what can keep us as whole, healthy people who come to work and show up as we are. And you know, just well-being has become such a forefront of what we essentially focus on now. And I'm just so glad that we had these four years to be able to start this project and i feel like it's to be continued right i think there are definitely conversations within the institute of continuing it of course there is some reconfiguration of of the outreach team at the moment so we want to make sure to set up the future podcast episodes in a thoughtful way so you know to all our listeners this is not the end of the podcast this is maybe the 2.0 and there are plans to bring the podcast back maybe sometime in the near future, uh, but definitely follow our blogs, social media to get latest updates on that. And we'll definitely be sharing more. And I just want to say one last time. Thank you, Anjali. You have really been wonderful to work with. I'm just so very thankful for this opportunity. And it's definitely one of my proudest moments doing uh, and bringing up this podcast with you and uh, we'll see where it goes, but. Same here. I definitely have the, the exact same feeling. It has been <laughs> one of the, as you said earlier, joys of this job and being able to, to do this with you. 
Community feedback is important to us, so if you enjoy listening to what's work got to do with it, please consider leaving us a review and subscribe to our podcast. We really appreciate your continued support. If you want to stay updated on current research, resources, news, and community events, consider following us on our Oregon in the Workplace blog or our social media channels. You can find us on facebook.com slash on Twitter at OHSU Health, or you can find us on LinkedIn by searching Oregon Institute of Occupational Health Sciences. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time.